Welcome to Virginia Outdoor Adventures podcast. We bring outdoor adventure stories and recommendations from athletes, conservationists, authors, park guides, community leaders, and local business owners from across the Commonwealth. I'm your host, Jessica Bowser. Who inspired your love of nature? Today's guest, Kevin Divens, inspires others as a certified Virginia Master Naturalist, a statewide corps of community-based volunteers who help conserve and manage natural resources and public lands. Kevin explains how understanding the natural world enhances his outdoor experience hiking, camping, and kayaking across Virginia. He also shares his favorite lesser-known locations for untouched beaches and pristine outdoor spaces. Let's go. Kevin, thanks for joining us on Virginia Outdoor Adventures. Thanks for having me, Jessica. What do you love about Virginia's outdoors? Virginia is just amazing as far as when it comes to outdoors, especially living in Richmond. I'm close enough to the mountains. I can go to the mountains in a day. I can go to the beach in in a day. Lots of opportunities. If you love the outdoors, Virginia to me is is the place to be. What are some of your favorite outdoor activities? I see on social media, you're often hiking, kayaking, camping. What are some of your favorites? Probably my favorite is probably just getting able, being able to get out and go on a nice hike, even if it's like 10, 15 miles. I just like to get out and enjoy the outdoors. I've had some interesting experiences kayaking. I do enjoy. That's been quite interesting. Actually, the first time I went kayaking, I went at Westmoreland State Park because we wanted to see the uh, cliffs up closer. Well, that was the only way to get there. Um, So we went on a kayak. (laughs) Hiking is probably my biggest, my biggest activity when it comes to going outdoors. I like to watch the birds and being outside. The nice peacefulness. It's quiet. (laughs) Well, you say just 10 or 15 miles, like that's no big deal. 10 or 15 miles hiking is a pretty big deal for a lot of people. (laughs) That is true. That is true. Well, it depends on, it depends on uh, how uh, hilly it is. Some places it's not too hilly, so you can go 10 miles and you don't really realize it. So that's true. What about kayaking? Do you kayak as far? I mean, do you do 10 to 15 miles? Oh, oh no. I'm not sure how far the farthest is that I've gone farthest was I uh, did a, uh, a ranger led kayak at uh, Caledon state park to get to see the bald eagles and do some fossil hunting there. So that was probably the farthest as far as mileage. No, I don't know, but yeah, I've done it. I did it that, um, I went to holiday Lake state park. We, we went across the lake there and, uh, stopped and then got out and, and saw the dam there and then had to paddle back. But yeah, I, I don't know how how the farthest was, but <laughs> but I do enjoy it. It's nice to be out on the water. How was kayaking at Holiday Lake? Because I was just recently there finishing up my trail quest program by visiting all the Virginia State Parks. And it was incredibly windy. Like, in fact, the wind knocked my camera tripod over and kind of damaged <laughs> something on my camera. Yeah, that part wasn't good. Um, luckily, it was just a little piece of plastic that broke. So that's fixable. But I didn't get to kayak because the wind was just out of control. And it was and that made it cold too. you know, nobody really wants to be out on the water when it's really cold. But the lake itself looked amazing. And it was my first time there visiting. And I told the the ranger there, Anne is her name that I have to come back to kayak because the lake looks incredible. It, well, it is. And um, it's also nice there because 
the water, the water in the lake is very clear. So you can see almost down to the bottom, even at, in the deepest parts. And uh, there's some things that you see in there because the water is so, so clean that you won't see in any other lakes because, and the reason why it's so clean is because it's next to a uh, state forest in that, in that area. So that's why it's just very nice. I, I, I want to go back there and actually do, because when we were there, you couldn't actually get all the way around the lake um, hike, hiking. So I'd like to go back now that I think it is fixed and you can, you can actually hike all around the lake. So that would be really fun to do. Yes. I think it's called the Lakeview Trail, if I remember correctly. And it's like six and a half or close to seven miles, maybe. It goes um, all the way around the lake. And then a little bit of it goes up into the Appomattox State Forest and then comes back down to the visitor center. I did part of it. And it's funny you say that the water is really clean because while I was hiking that Lakeview Trail, I had to cross the river. And the only way to get across the river was to walk across a tree that had fallen across the water. And then when you get more than halfway, then you had to climb down from this fallen tree onto some really big rocks and then walk across the rocks the rest of the way. So it became this really interesting obstacle. And so I I was climbing down off the tree. And in order to get to the rocks, I had to duck underneath the tree. And when I did that, my cell phone fell out of my pocket and into the water, but I didn't know. So I got all the way to the other side and I'm, you know, checking to make sure I've got everything with me. And I'm like, where's my phone? And then I like turned around and looked behind me and had this moment of panic where I thought, oh my gosh, I am in really big trouble. And I went back and I look and there's my phone at the, (laughs) like under a foot of water. (laughs) And I, I pulled it out. Apparently the new phones uh, are waterproof because it just turned right on and worked perfectly. Like nothing had ever happened. If that had been my old phone, I would have been in a world the trouble, but it worked out really, it worked out fine. And so when I got back to the visitor center, uh, Ranger Anne asked me how everything went. And I told her about my phone falling out and she's like, oh, well, it's good that it all worked out. And the water here is really clean. And I thought, oh, good. Because honestly, like I was pulling out my disinfectant wipe and wiping off my phone because if that had been Northern Virginia, where my my phone would have fallen out of my pocket, germs that would have been crawling on that would have been absolutely disgusting. And and it was really clean. I'm like, oh, good. That's one last thing I have to worry about. <laughs> that that was one of the most fascinating parts about about that park is yeah the, the lake is just it's beautiful because it's so so clean. So let's start talking about the Virginia Master Naturalist program. You are a Virginia Master Naturalist, and I'm really excited to have you on the show to talk about what this program is about. I'm a little bit familiar with it because several years ago, somebody approached me about becoming a Virginia Master Naturalist, and I had looked into it at the time. So I'm vaguely familiar with it and have learned more about it over the years from my friends who are certified Virginia Master Naturalist. But but I'm excited for our listeners to find out about this program because it's really exciting. What is it about the Virginia Master Naturalist program that attracted you to become certified? I had already started getting interested in nature and outdoors anyway, because we had started really visiting a lot of the state parks. Our goal was we really, we really wanted to see all the state parks, but we haven't gotten there yet. Um, but I think we did get up to like 30 in like a couple years. So, (laughs) but in the process, you know, really, you know, got to appreciate more about nature and and what was going on. And it just happened to come up. I, I'm pretty sure it was, it was a Facebook ad from Pocahontas State Park. And they mentioned the program, oh, that, you know, that it was going to start in January. And uh, I was like, 
oh, well, this sounds interesting. And I looked into it, getting to meet people that are like-minded as you that are interested in nature and, and the environment and things like that was fascinating to me. It was definitely worth it. Um, made new friends because, because of it and uh, that were in my class. And um, now I'm actually on the board for our chapter learning more about the connections of different organizations that are actually out there. The Chesapeake Bay Foundation, the James River Association, and places like that that are actually out there involved in educating people and getting people to understand what's going on in our environment and how to do our part in uh, making it a better place and keeping Virginia as, as beautiful as it is. And hopefully it stays that way. Are the Virginia Master Naturalists a volunteer-based organization? Yes. It's all volunteer, 100% volunteer. So once you become certified, you then become one of those volunteers? Um, actually, you can start volunteering as soon as you start the program, if you want, um, and, and start racking up your volunteer hours. And what are the volunteers expected to do? Uh, you can volunteer for a lot of different things. That's, that's to me, what, what is really cool uh, about it, too. You can... You can help out with uh, kids' programs. You can help out in, uh, in the state parks, maybe with a hike or school groups. Um, like Pocahontas, sometimes they'll have school groups come in to learn about the sci- you know, science and stuff like that. And you can be one of, the, one of the people that actually helps teach the program. Chesapeake Bay Foundation has things like with the uh, oyster recycling. You can go and help bag up the uh, used oysters because um, they... They take them and they put them in different uh, waterways um, to help the oysters because that's where the uh, oysters lay their, lay their eggs uh, a lot of times. And that, that helps us get more oysters, which helps purify the water. I, I've helped with the Blue Sky Fund, which uh, helps with uh, Richmond City Schools. They take them out on field trips to, uh, to different places to learn the science that they're learning in, in school. Um, like uh, one time we took them to the James River and they got to sift through the river and see the different little organisms that were in there um, that are indications that the water there is, is a lot better than it used to be. Um, it has ways to go, but it's a lot better. So they get to see that. Um, they learn about erosion and, and things like that, but they actually get to see it in person, instead of, you know, just sitting in a classroom and going blah, 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 they get to actually uh, learn it outdoors, um, which is really cool. And that's what I loved. I mean, you can volunteer doing many different things, Um, working on trails. Um, We have butterfly gardens, you can um, help you can figure out what your interest is. Bird. I mean, one of the uh, one of the big ways that you can get volunteer hours is you can just sit and See how many birds you see in one day. They call it the Christmas bird count. And then I think there's one in uh, around, sometime in February, I believe, like around Valentine's Day, they do another one. But you get volunteer hours for doing that because that's uh, what we call a citizen science. So anybody can just sit there and jot down the information and send it to the Audubon Society so that they can keep track of uh, birds migrating and how many and and how things have changed or not changed and all that kind of thing. I am really aware of the citizen science projects, which I think um, some organizations are now calling community science projects. And 
the birding one, the Christ, the annual Christmas bird count is probably one of the most famous. I think this year is going to be the 121st year of the of the Christmas bird count. It's the way that researchers and scientists can track uh, what's happening, especially uh, in terms of how climate change is affecting species, because birds are what are considered an indicator species. So citizen science is a really important part of that, because without all those volunteers, they wouldn't be able to track all that data. You know, people wonder, well, where do they get all this information from volunteers? <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah, it's really, it's really cool. And they do the same thing. Um, they have something kind of similar for that, for the butterflies too. And that's, what's um, pretty cool too about Virginia is because we're kind of, we get influx from winter birds come here and they winter here. And then we get birds that come here just for the summer. And then they leave. So it's uh, you get we, we get a lot of migration species here, which is really cool. I believe that Virginia Master Naturalists have a lot of different citizen science projects going on. In fact, the website right now is asking people to submit sightings of fox squirrels uh, in a certain part of the state. And I think that's really interesting because if there's an animal or a species out there, there's probably somebody tracking it. I have learned, which, you know, is really interesting. And I had no idea that anybody was counting fox squirrels, but apparently somebody is. Something must've come up to where they went, you know, they wanted to see what was going on with them, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And if anybody is interested in that, that is on the Virginia master naturalist, uh, website right now. So that's really cool. Um, and you know, speaking of butterflies, I was really excited this past fall when I had a monarch, uh, visit my backyard for the first time and my backyard, you know, I, I try really hard to make it what's called a wildlife sanctuary where I have replaced non-native species that were there when I bought my house with native plant species, which is it's a deliberate um, move to attract birds and butterflies and other wildlife and with plants that will support them. So, you know, you've got a, a migrating monarch that is passing through and they're going all the way down to Mexico and they need the fuel to be able to make it to Mexico. And so I've been planting a little bit at a time because that's what they tell you. If you try to do your whole yard at once, it could be really expensive and overwhelming. And so I've been planting a couple plants this year and then a couple more plants next year. And so this past September, I had um, a plant that I had planted a couple years ago bloom for the first time. And uh, this monarch stopped in and was feeding off of it. And I was just thrilled <laughs> because that effort um, to support that animal uh, was evident and it was happening right in front of me. And it was just a really great feeling. Yeah. Native plants are one of the best ways to attract, you know, all, you know, your bees, your, not just the monarchs, but the, you know, all kinds of different butterflies, the birds. I mean, the, the birds love the, the seeds and the, all that kind of stuff. So don't, don't deadhead stuff. Let the, let the seeds be there. Cause that's what a lot of the birds will eat during the winter. Very good point. And for people who are interested in planting native plants, there are usually native plant sales um, very early in spring. So anybody who's thinking about possibly doing that this upcoming year can can look for those native plant sales in their neighborhood and take advantage of those. Yes, definitely. Spring's not the, the best time to plant. It's usually in the fall, but um, depending on Depending on how the weather goes, <laughs> sometimes it warms up too fast. Definitely um, check out your uh, native nurseries and the ones that are, are doing natives, you know, support them because we, we need more of that because um, that's what's going to help our environment and 
support the things that are supposed to be here, the birds that are supposed to be here, the insects that are supposed to be here. Yeah, that's a good point because a lot of local nurseries do not carry uh, native plant species. And so if people start to ask for it, then hopefully they will. There's a local nursery near me that was not um, providing them or they didn't have a specific section for it. And I think enough people asked that they then created a special section just for local native plants. And that way you knew that what you were purchasing uh, was was native and that it would support the environment. Because the problem with non-native plants is a lot of them don't support the, the wildlife. I mean, there's a whole ecosystem that has evolved uh, as a circle and, and, and to introduce something new, especially if it's invasive, can be problematic. But, uh, you know, a lot of times the local insects and the local wildlife don't feed off of those because it's not what they're used to a good person if you if you're looking for a good person to read about you know you're wondering about natives and things like that Doug Ptolemy has two books um I haven't read I haven't looked at the second one but his uh, first one is called Bringing Nature Home the second one I think he called uh, Na- Nature's Best Hope is the second one but uh he really talks about how how important it is to use natives and uh he he has firsthand experience because he took a I believe he has 10 acres in Delaware. He, he went in there and got rid of, you know, all the invasives and things like that. And just went in there and, and put in natives of, of all kinds of, all kinds of things. And he talks about how he started seeing, he would plant certain things. So he was like, Oh, this, this plant will attract this certain kind of butterfly. So he, he planted it and it, sometimes it took a couple of years and then he would finally see that, that butterfly because certain plants have certain butterflies that that's their host and that's where they'll lay their eggs or they'll, they'll eat. He's, he's really good. I I like the way he lays it out. And and it's one of those things that to me is one of the easiest things. If you're really interested in helping the environment, it's, uh, it's something that all, all of us can do. We can uh, plant native plants. Um, And, and he also understands the, uh, um, the aspect of, maybe there's something that you have plant that there's plants that you like, but he's like, find a balance, you know, um, the, the more natives you can plant, the better, but he understands, you know, Hey, if you, if you want to keep that crepe myrtle as a piece, you know, because you like the color, you like the blooms, you, you know, whatever, fine. But, you know, bring in as many natives as you can, those kind of plants, because they don't, they're not supposed to be here are basically like statues. They're just, they're just there. They don't benefit anything because um, you're not going to find caterpillars on them because they don't want to eat that because they don't, they don't understand what it is because it's not there. <laughs> it's not what they're supposed to be eating. So you, you, you want, you want plants out there that, yeah, you're going to have leaves that have holes in them, but that's because those insects are eating it, which means that's a beneficial plant. <laughs> Um, some people, you know, think that, oh, like, we don't want to do that because we want to get rid of all the bugs. No, you don't want to get rid of the bugs. <laughs> so it's actually a good sign to see, you know, little holes in your leaves and, and things like that. So, uh, it's better for the environment. That's a good point. I recently read that native trees can be a host for up to 300 different species of caterpillars, whereas non-native trees sometimes only host five or six 
which is really incredible. So when you think about the migrating songbirds, for example, let's say the warblers, when the warblers are passing through, they're eating caterpillars off the trees. So if there are non-native trees, then they're not going to be finding the food that they need during their migration. Right. And that's another thing that he mentions. He's, he's like, look at trees as bird feeders. So the more beneficial the tree is, then the more the more you're benefiting those birds because yes, the birds who are raising their young, that's most of what they need is caterpillars to feed their young because that's the most nutritious food that they can give those babies. So you should have trees. I think oak, I think is, uh, is one of the best. Um, I think uh, maples maybe, you know, come in close to the top too, but I'm not sure, but he, that's another thing he lays out which one, what are the best, all, all the natives. And, and, you know, there's even the degrees of natives, you know, that are better than, than others, but, but definitely, definitely go with the natives, but yeah, look at it as a, as a bird, as a bird feeder, because they need those, they need those caterpillars to uh, feed even bigger animals actually eat more insects. Uh, bears even eat lots of insects. I think like 20 something percent of their diet is insects. So you think some, you know, some big animal like that, oh no, they don't eat. No, they actually need bugs too, because they are, they're, they're that nutritious. I've, he explains how, how nutritious a caterpillar is, but it's packed with nutrition. If somebody was interested in planting native plants in their yard to support the environment, do you have any recommendations for where they could start? Because there's a lot to consider when you're planting native plants. I mean, you have to think about the type of soil you have, how much sun or shade the area is getting, uh, rainfall, things like that. Um, where should somebody begin if they are interested in doing this? Locally, I would, I would search out your local chapter of the Native Plant Society. Um, because they'll, they can tell you what may be the best for your area. Because just because it's native to Virginia, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is the best for your area. It, it may not grow very well there, or it may not grow at all. So um, what's the most beneficial for, for your um, particular area, wherever you live? Getting in touch with the master naturalist. They, um, I'm sure they would be glad to help <laughs> um, because that's, that's what we love to do. That's one of our, one of our passions is getting people to into native plants. Virginia master naturalists can help the Virginia native plant society. Um, I think also Autobahn might have a certification program. Autobahn at home will help out with that, or at least the Autobahn society of Northern Virginia. I know there's other Autobahn chapters around the state. Um, I'm not sure if they offer something similar, but that's another resource that people can look to. And in fact, Autobahn will actually send somebody like an ambassador to your home if you want um, to actually look at your property and, and be able to be there on site to make recommendations, which is really helpful. Oh, nice. That's good to know. I think we should mention that there is more than one Virginia Master Naturalist chapter. There's actually quite a few across the state. Is that right? Uh, yes. Yes, there is. Pretty much every region has has at least one chapter. Mine is, uh, is the Pocahontas chapter and we're kind of Richmond South pretty much. But yeah, they're, they're all over, all over Virginia. So how does someone find out which chapter is closest to them? Is there a map on the Virginia Master Naturalist website? I believe there should be. It should be. They should tell you each chapter and what 
what area that chapter covers. How has earning a master naturalist certification changed your outdoor experiences? For me, I think it just gave me a better appreciation and I understood more or I understand more of how everything's connected together that if one one thing is a little off it could throw a lot of things off um, like I was you know like we were talking about the the insects if there's not enough insects some species may die off because that's its food you know with the birds you know the birds may not migrate through here if we don't have the food we learned a little bit about everything the wetlands and the importance of wetlands and and what lives in in wetlands and why we need to protect the wetlands because of the salamanders and the benefit of this little bitty slimy salamander thing yeah just how every little thing has its purpose and what benefit it does have even if it's a microorganism in the water how does it benefit how does it benefit other organisms so just how everything is just connected. We learned how there's a benefit with the salamander eggs. If they get some algae in there, they, they look green and it looks like, oh no, that's not the way it's supposed to be. But actually they have a symbiotic relationship. I was trying to think of the word symbiotic relationship because algae puts off oxygen, which the eggs use. And then the eggs are putting off carbon dioxide, which the algae uses for food. So they, they both benefit each other. So it's actually really good to see a lot of algae in the, in the egg sac. Yeah, I, I appreciate more how everything is connected and that it is the benefit of everything working together. I could understand that. I know when I go out hiking or even just walking in the outdoors, anytime that I spend outdoors, I like to pay attention to what's around me. And I think it's helpful to know a little something about what you're seeing and hearing because it's like you're more engaged in the experience. Like if you see a bird or you hear a bird, you can identify it. Or if you're looking at a tree, you can identify it. Or uh, if you hear an interesting sound to try to guess what it is, even if you don't know. Part of that experience is being able to know what's around you. Yeah, especially birds. Sometimes it's hard to know what is that noise? (laughs) But it sounds pretty. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes you think it's a bird and it turns out it's a squirrel. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) When they're squawking at each other. Yeah. You know, earlier today I went out for a walk and I found this plant growing along the trail and it was seeded and it had from the pod, they had these long white strings coming out of it. It looked like, and they were, they almost looked furry and it kind of had a star shape. And I just was like really intrigued because I've never seen anything like that. So I picked one piece of it and I carried it with me on the rest of my walk. And I kept looking at it and just thinking, gosh, this thing is so pretty. And then I got home and I'm like showing my husband, I'm like, Hey, look at this thing. And he's like, "Uh uh-huh. Okay. I have things I have to do. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. But I was like, but it's so cool. And he's like, "Uh uh-huh. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Mm. (laughs) But to me, it was really neat because it was something that I had discovered as part of my experience. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I've also, you know, learned what different resources there are. Like there's a um, app called iNaturalist that you can like if you when you see things like that, you can actually take a picture of it, uh, send it to to the app and uh, different people that they can help you identify it if you have no idea what it is. Or even if you have a you're like, I think it's this, but what? how specific, uh, what specifically is it? You can do that. And 
So that's, uh, that's another resource that um, is really cool that really anybody can use. What a great point. The iNaturalist app has been really, well, it's been a lot of fun because you can upload pictures of whatever you find. And then there's a community out there that helps to identify it. That's, that's neat. And there are other, there are other apps too, that are really good for um, identifying different things. I know there are some for trees and some for birds. Um, well, the one for birds is, as I use uh, Merlin, which is through a uh, Cornell University. You know, it'll help you pull up. It'll ask you, you know, like what the date is, where you, you know, um, well, make sure your location. Which what location are you at? Your date, and it asks you the size of the bird, and uh, then the colors, and um, then you know, and it'll it'll give you okay. Here's the options. Is it is it any of these? Most of the time, it's most of the time you see what you you know. It shows you what you what you probably saw, but sometimes it's like. No, I didn't see any of those. <laughs> so then you kind of have to really think a little bit harder. But, um, but yeah, that's that's another good resource that again anybody anybody could use. Since you became a Virginia Master Naturalist, do people ask you all the time for ID help, or you know, I found this thing, Kevin? What is it? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, yeah. I mean, sometimes uh, we we joke about because uh, uh, we're like, we don't know everything. Just because we're Master Naturalists doesn't mean we know everything. <laughs> um, but um, but the one good thing is that we usually do know who we can. If we don't know the answer, we usually know who we can maybe ask. Everybody has. I mean, we have we have a person in our group that if we have any questions about wildflowers or plants, that kind of stuff, we know who, okay, Ernie, Hey, what is this? Here's a picture of it. Do you have any idea what it might be? You kind of know in your realm, what, you know, who, who might be able to answer this, or even if not, you know, you know, okay. At, you know, you should, maybe you should ask this organization. Some people I think think that, Oh, well, you should know more, but it's like, you know, we all have our specialties. I don't, I don't think myself, I really have a specialty, I've kind of plugged my nose into <laughs> a lot of different things. Um, I'm getting a little more into birding now that I actually have, I have a good pair of binoculars. So that's helping a little bit as a master naturalist. Usually, you know, you know where your resources, who your resources are. So that, that definitely helped. Sure. Well, education is not about knowing everything. It's about having the skills to find the information when you're looking for it. So I'm, I'm guessing that you have some really interesting places that you love to explore around the state. And I really want to hear what those different places are. As somebody who appreciates the outdoors as much as you do, what are some locations that you like to explore? How long do we have? <laughs> um, <laughs> I have lots of good places. We would go on these adventures and people would be like, well, what do you, wait a minute, where is this? People that have lived, lived in Virginia all their lives and were like, you don't know about this place? Okay, <laughs> well, here it is and it's free. We've uh, run into a lot of interesting places. Just, we just got started by looking at, uh, we'd look at Google Maps and be like, hey, there's a green dot. What is that? Oh, it's a such and such forest or it's such and such nature preserve or a state park or, you know, whatever. We're like, oh, well, let's, let's see what that looks like today. One of our favorite places, I guess, would be, uh, we like to go to Matthews County. We love Matthews County. It's just, it's nice, quiet, nice little country area. But Matthews County has a couple of nature preserves there. We uh, like to go to, it's Baven Beach or um, it also goes by New Point Comfort Nature Preserve. There you kind of, you, you kind of have to time it because you, you need to get there when there's going to be low tide in order to really get out to the beachy area because you have to go through a, a kind of a marshy area 
in order to get to the beach. Yeah, we usually time at low tide and then you can get out to the beach area and there's a long beach uh, area that you can go there. And it's, uh, it's really very few people there. So if you're ever, if you're worried about there being lots of crowds or anything, that's what's nice about most of the nature preserves. You're not going to run into many people at all. And there, you know, you can, you can have your beach day and walk along the beach and not get bothered with people. And um, there's also the marsh uh, area behind there. So you can, if you want to listen to the birds or watch the birds, a lot of times there, you can actually see more of them because of just the environment there. But that's a really nice quiet place there. Uh, they got a nice uh, little place that um, you can go out and it takes you out a little bit out into the water. Um, observation deck, I guess you would call it. Um, you can go out there if you're not into wanting to venture through the marsh. Um, but it's, it's, it's a nice place there. Um, if you wanna, if you're interested in kayaking, you have kayaks, great place to go out there. You can pull out there and kayak out out uh, Mob Jack Bay is, is the area there. And you can, there's a lighthouse out there that you could, uh, which is on my bucket list. I would love to kayak out to the lighthouse and get to see it. It's a really old uh, lighthouse out there. Uh, one of the few that's still out uh, around in Virginia, but um, beautiful place there. If you want to enjoy nature, um, want to enjoy birds, um, very peaceful area there. Um, there's also another nature preserve that's not far from there in the same county called Bethel Beach. There is actually um, better if you if you or people you know are not um, as adventurous, I guess I guess I, way I would put it, or not as physically active. You can actually drive almost right to the beach there. So you can get out of the car and you're only a few hundred feet away and, and there's the beach. Um, so that's really nice. Um, but it's also a nature preserve and, uh, part of it, they, uh, they block off during part of the year because of terns coming there to nest on the, on the dunes there. But yeah, there's a nice marshy area behind there too, that, uh, see the crabs. Oh, at, uh, at Bavon beach, you actually, you see lots of, you'll see lots of blue crabs there, uh, in the marsh area there. It's actually other name is called the blue crab reserve. I think it's what they use. But anyway, it has blue, uh, blue crab in there. And we're like, why did they do that? Well, yeah, you see lots of blue crabs there. Um, Bethel Beach you could probably, is kind of the same thing because it has the marshy area there. But lots of birds, um, the gulls. There's tons of gulls there. We like to go to the quiet areas where you can go and enjoy nature. And there's never, never many people there. I think I went there in March and there was a decent amount of people because you know a lot of people were, were getting out wanting to get out, um, but it still wasn't crowded there by any means. Yeah, if you're looking for a quiet nature area, you know, check out the nature preserves. You can go to the uh, DCR uh, website and they have a map of all the nature preserves. So wherever you're, you're looking or wherever you're at, there's probably a few nearby that you can go and check out and then they're free. State parks are a little bit of charge, but they're not, they're not that bad either because it's by car load. So if you you know, those are nice places to go to. And if you go to Matthews County, you should definitely stop at Richardson's Cafe. If you like um, good country cooking, um, they have the fried pickles, things like that, that uh, if, you, if you love good country cooking, stop there. The, um, the service is always good and uh, good food. Uh, the desserts are really good. They have homemade desserts. Um, it's, just, it's just a great little place to, to stop in and uh, Matthews, the town of Matthews is really cool too, because they have nice little shops there that you can, you could roam in and uh, 
uh, little um, local artists um, that do some cool stuff. So if you're looking for a little getaway for a day and want to go roam around, Matthews County is a really, really cool place. Well, and the beaches in the in the preserve areas are so different from beaches that are visited by tourists. And I think if you have not been to a beach that is untouched by tourism, you would, you're really going to be in for a treat because there's, it is vastly different. I mean, when you have a beach where there are a lot of tourists, there's, there's nothing there. I mean, there, except there's a bunch of sand, but that's really it. You know, they have those big machines that rake through the sand and pick up trash. And and otherwise, it just is a blanket of sand there. It's almost absent of wildlife. You know, you don't, sometimes you don't even find seashells because they've been, you know, picked over or they've been raked up by the machine. Um, whereas if you go to one of these preserves, you're going to find so much wildlife there that it's just abundant everywhere you look and you will find things that you never expected yeah yeah that's that's what amazed me i mean just you know like you said raked over or anything like that so it's just this is the way you know this is the way the coastline should be which is kind of cool to see if you get there get at any of those places at low tide you'll see how you know little organisms and stuff will get trapped in there um, which is kind of cool like tide pools right Uh uh-huh yeah Kind of, yeah. That's the bay, though, right? It's not the ocean. So, are there are there saltwater creatures that will wash into there, or is there something altogether different? I mean, you mentioned blue crabs. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's because it's all brackish water. So, yeah, you'll uh, you'll get um, yeah, you'll get the crabs. You'll get the um, we saw um, some sea anemone in uh, w- at one of the places there on the bay in in those little temporary pools. Yeah, I mean, you'll see anything. Yeah, pretty much anything you would see in the ocean, you know, if you went all the way to Virginia Beach in that area, you're going to see there because it they, they, they work their way up. I mean, yeah, I mean, the farther you go up the bay, the, you know, the less salty it's going to be, but it's still enough salt to where, yeah, that's where the, the crabs are. You see that that's where you, you know, the oysters and and all that will be uh, muscles, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think those little discoveries are the most exciting. I know I, I had an experience once where not in that area, but I was actually at Mason Neck State Park and there was a great blue heron that was wading through a shallow area. And I saw it catch something and I thought it was a fish and I happened to have a long lens camera with me. So I started taking pictures. And when I zoomed in, I noticed that whatever it was had wrapped itself around the heron's beak to keep from being eaten. And I I thought it was a snake. Well, it wasn't until I got home that I actually got the pictures uploaded and I could zoom in on a large monitor. And I noticed that that snake had gills. And so I was like, what is this? And and I thought to myself, is it an eel? Because up there, it's freshwater. Mason X State Park is on Belmont Bay, which is connected to the Potomac River. And I never knew that eels could live in freshwater. I mean, when you're a kid and you're in school, you, you learn about eels as being ocean creatures, you know? So I had no idea that eels lived uh, up here in Northern Virginia. And I was just completely amazed. But it was that experience that led me to learn about that. And I never would have known if it wasn't for that observation that I had made. Yeah. And it might have been, too, that it was close enough to where the salt water was coming in because the Potomac, you know, at certain points is kind of salty. It may have been just close enough. Yeah, because yeah, because the Potomac runs into runs into the bay. So all yeah, all of our rivers. That's well, that's the another intriguing part about Virginia is all of our rivers are influenced by the tide up to a certain point. Um, like the Potomac, the Rappahannock, the James River, uh, the York River, 
um, all those rivers, yeah, are, are influenced by the, by the tides. So that's why sometimes, you know, if we get, they, you know, if we get storms, that's why a lot of times way up the river, it does get flooded because of the storms. Very interesting. Um, and those natural area preserves that you just mentioned, those are all managed by DCR and there are natural areas all over the state. If you wanted to visit a Virginia natural area preserve, you can go to their website and there's a map that actually shows you where they are all around the state, right? Yes. Yeah. Which is really cool. Like, yeah. So you can, you know, if you wanted to go to the mountains, say, oh, there's, is there any up there that, uh, you know, you can, you can pick them out. Yeah. And there's, yeah, there's ones all over. I mean, some of them you, you can't, you can't actually go and visit unless you get permission or if you are on the website, you know, and you click on those, it'll tell you what is, what's fascinating about that nature preserve, why you might want to go there. Um, so very good resource, you know, again, and they're free. They're, uh, you know, our tax dollars help fund those things. So you should take advantage of them. <laughs> Yeah, people really should. In fact, that was one of my discoveries, um, thanks to the current pandemic, is I was looking for places to go that weren't crowded because, you know, so, so many places closed, like, you know, um, the national parks closed and the local parks closed and the Virginia State Park stayed open, which is wonderful. Um, but it also meant that they had a huge influx of visitors. I mean, Virginia State Parks are absolutely wonderful. So, of course, people would want to go and visit. Uh, but it was really hard to hike on a trail in a Virginia state park at the beginning of the pandemic and not be running into people all over the place. So it started to feel like maybe this wasn't the safest place to be. So I started looking for other place, you know, other natural spaces that I could visit that weren't going to be as crowded. And that's how I discovered um, the DCR managed natural area preserves. And I think they're the best kept secret in Virginia. Definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. We, that's why we tell people about them because it's like, yeah, they're free and most of them, yeah, you're not going to you're not going to run into many people. I mean, a lot of them sometimes we we may see a couple people the whole time we're there and we're, you know, and we're there for a decent amount of time. And it's like, wow. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, if you're de- yeah, if you're definitely, you know, looking for some place to spread out and get some fresh air, which we all need and get some sun get some sunshine, um, those are definitely one of the best places to go. Cause yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's what we did. You know, people were like, what do you, how did you, how did you uh, wind up doing anything? I'm like, the places we go to are not, are not crowded usually anyway. So, and the ones that we knew would be, yeah, we just pick someplace else. So, but yeah, the, na- the natural areas are, are one of the best places to go. And yeah, and they're all over Virginia. Agree. But I do want to emphasize that people should check their website before they go because they can be closed for a number of reasons, including, um, I think, hunting, like managed hunts. Um, it can be closed for. And then also, if you go to their website right now, there are warnings that say um, there's they sometimes put a max number of visitors, uh, especially now during the pandemic where they're getting more visitors than usual so that there isn't uh, a a negative impact of an influx of visitors on the area. So they do tell you to check the website before you come out. So that's important. Yeah. That, yeah. That's definitely true. Cause one of the ones that um, we like to go to, they, they limit it to, there's like, there's 11 parking spaces. And they're like, if the, none of those parking spaces are open, do not stay. <laughs> so the, I, I'm, I'm glad that they, that they did do that too, because yeah, we, we don't want, 
I mean, we want people to get outside, but we won't, we don't want our nature to get ruined because of a bunch of people being outside. In addition to the natural area preserves, there is also um, the Virginia Department of Wildlife Resources has management areas as well. Yes. Wildlife management areas are another place that, yeah, we've, we've gone to a few of those too, which you have to be careful because of hunting. Uh, one concern there, but um, yeah, I mean, that, those have been some of the places too that, yeah, nobody goes. So you're just walking around and don't hear anything, but nature. <laughs> Right. And I think um, they were formerly the Virginia Department of Game and Inland Fishery. And then I think it just went through a rebranding. Yeah. Now it's a Department of Wildlife Resources. I think it's called DWR. Yes. Yes. Which I'm, I'm glad they, I'm, I'm glad they did that. Some people fussed about, you know, the cost of changing it, but I think it was good because they really were more than what, what it was saying. I mean, they, they weren't just about hunting and fishing and that kind of thing. They were about protecting the environment and all that kind of stuff. So, in fact, some of our um, people that we would use for resources for uh, some of our uh, continuing education with Master Naturalists were from uh, DCR. So they were resources for us. So, you know, they were definitely about you know, conservation and things like that. So that, that a lot of people didn't realize. And the wildlife management areas, they do require a parking pass. Pretty easy to get a parking pass. You just go onto their website and you purchase one and they're not expensive. And then that is, you carry that with you each time you visit one of the wildlife management areas, but it's good for, I believe it's good for each wildlife management area. I, I would think so. (laughs) but that can be found on the website though i'm sure (laughs) that's correct along with swag uh you know because everybody needs a hat or a knife or a t-shirt or or whatever um actually you know what they do produce are those excellent id guidebooks Oh. oh yes yes so i have the i think i have the guide to turtles and the guide to snakes and one yes. more and they have the, the frogs, frogs and salamanders they, have frogs. they do have a salamander one now but that's uh brand new this year i haven't gotten it though but um yeah that was that was one of their uh recent things that they just did and and um they actually have a uh license plate that um is has the state salamander on it that um will uh benefit their organization if you if you get it so if you if you want to have a salamander on your license plate a state salamander, the state salamander of Virginia on it. Um, You should uh, check that out. (laughs) That sounds fun. Yeah. But those guidebooks are fantastic because they're not big. And, you know, when you think about um, a field guide for birds, for example, it's huge, you know, it's heavy, it's thick, but these books are the complete opposite. They're, they can't even be an eighth of an inch thick, I don't think. And um, the photos in them are beautiful. And like each page is devoted to a different species and it has a map that shows you that species and, and how to identify it. And so I've turned to that many times when I've been out hiking and I come across a snake that I've never seen before or a turtle. And that is really helpful with identifying what you find. Well, and it's good too, that those are, um, because those are specific to Virginia. So you're not going to, like the bird guides will be for like the Southeast or whatever. And so you'll get, you know, you may look up a bird that doesn't even live here or never even comes here. Um, but yeah, but with those guides, it's, it, those are, those are the turtles you're going to, you're, you're going to see in Virginia, you know, and your frogs and all of that. So 
Um, it's very specific for Virginia, which is really nice. So if you, if you do a lot of rumming around in Virginia, that's, those are good resources. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think um, it's important to note that if you purchase those guidebooks or anything else that they sell on their website, the proceeds go to supporting their conservation programs. That's a, that's a win-win. So yeah, if you want to learn more about, about the wildlife of Virginia and uh, help out a good organization, there's, there, there's a way to do it. So I want to ask you, what advice would you give someone who wants to connect with nature? Just do it. I mean, go out, go outside, enjoy it. Talk about, you know, you see something, oh, what is that? You know, investigate it, go, you know, use your resources, make the time to go. If, if you want to learn more about nature, you got to get out in it. You got to not be afraid of it. Um, some people are kind of afraid of, afraid of nature, but um, there's really not much to be afraid of in nature because um, it doesn't want to hurt you. They really don't. <laughs> Even the things that we think are, ah, the snakes, but yeah, but they, they really don't. They don't want to hurt you. So uh, investigate, be, uh, be inquisitive and uh, embrace it. Let's quickly talk about New Point Comfort Lighthouse because you mentioned it. And I think uh, it's worth pointing out that the lighthouse itself is historical. It has a long history, right? Long time ago. It was the eight, early 1800s it was built. And until it hasn't been that long ago since um, it got, you used to be able to actually walk out to the lighthouse. Um, but because of one of our last major hurricanes, it uh, ruined that. <laughs> the slice of land's not there anymore. But yeah, it's it's been there a long time. And uh, another reason why I would kind of like to go out and, and see it. So who knows how long it might be there, but it's been there a long time. So um, they are actually, um, reminds me, they are um, refurbishing it right now. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how it looks after they're done with that. So how do you get to it then? If you can no longer access it by land, how do you get to the lighthouse? Probably the best way would be to kayak. <laughs> and there is actually a company um, in that area called uh, Mobjack Bay Outfitters or something like that. Um, and they actually take tours out to the, to the lighthouse. Um, so you get to see the preserve there at uh, Bavon and uh, get to see the lighthouse too. To participate in that tour, you would have to kayak it's a kayak tour? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's actually really neat. I mean, think about it. If It's just not as cool to drive up in your car and walk up to the lighthouse as it is to have to get in your kayak and paddle towards it. You got to earn it, right? That, that's that's true. Yes. Yeah. And, it, it, it's, and it's beautiful. So it's just a beautiful place. So. That's something that I think I need to put on my bucket list. <laughs> Maybe we can do it together. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's wrap this up. What is your next big Virginia outdoor adventure? Um, we are thinking of going sometime uh, for a cabin stay at a state park. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, that'll probably be our next, our next big adventure, which we look forward to uh, doing that. We do that. Uh, we've done that pretty much every year for the last few years. Uh, we've gone at least once to a cabin during the winter so we can I like it because I like to go and have the fireplace because enjoy a nice fire and sit in front of it and just enjoy the fire. Um, don't get to do that any other time. So, uh, so that's fun. And sometimes we, we take, take some books to, to read or laugh about or whatever. It's just a good time. And yeah, I encourage, encourage anybody to check out the cabins at the state parks because they're, they're nice and, uh, very comfortable. Um, 
the beds are nicer than ours. Um, <laughs> so, but um, yeah, they're, they're done upright. Even the older ones that are, uh, were built like by the CCC many years ago are, uh, they're rustic, but they're, they're still nice. Whatever you're looking for, if you're looking for something that's a little more modern, the newer ones, some of the parks, they have the newer ones, they're two bedrooms and they have nice wide open space, nice kitchens. You know, if you want to cook or whatever, everything, um, most of them have uh, back porches where you can sit in rocking chairs and enjoy the outside, a nice uh, little grill out there if you want to grill. I mean, pretty much anything you can think of. So uh, nice family get together if, you, if you're looking for a place to get together with the family and not have to worry about cleaning up the house or anything. Go to State Park Cabin. Do you know which park you're going to be visiting? I think we're thinking of going to Shenandoah River State Park. We really, we really like it up there. And the cabins, actually, there's a trail that goes right behind the cabins, right to the, to the rest of the trails. So you don't even have to drive to any, anywhere. You can just step out your door and go hiking. So, uh, yeah, and it's, it's really nice. There's some nice uh, meadow there and um, you get to see the Shenandoah River there. Go right up to the river and enjoy it. And it's, uh, you can also hike up to some uh, high places there too. If you want, it's really nice. They have the uh, there. They have the the newer cabins, um, but it's they're nice. That they have two and three bedrooms there. You can take a take a big family group or a lot of friends if you want. <laughs> Their visitor center there is really nice too, um, especially when things are blooming and everything. Um, they have a nice uh, um, native plant garden out front there with a a stream that goes around the around there and it's built built really nice. They got some nice uh, animal displays in there too from uh, with taxidermy am- animals and stuff in there. So it's a really nice uh, visitor center. Yeah, it's pretty new too. It's very modern looking. They have uh, a great educational display on the inside. Um, the cabins though, I you know, winter is one of my favorite times to be in a Virginia State Park cabin because like you mentioned, you've got the fireplace. I think S- Smith Mountain Lake actually has wood burning stoves, which is a little bit different, but it's kind of cool too. Um, I really thought that was neat. Um, but it is just like the perfect time to like cozy up next to the fire with a book and a glass of red wine. And I could stay there all weekend. <laughs> I don't ha- I don't have to move from that spot. <laughs> and I am perfectly happy. So it doesn't matter what the weather is doing outside. Although I do think that winter is an, an amazing time to hike. Um, I, per- you know, I prefer it. But the other great thing about the cabins in winter is they the rates are so cheap. Yeah, any yeah, it's yeah, because it's the off season. Yeah, there depends on the park. Some of the parks are more expensive than others, depending on where they are. Um, but um, yeah, most of most of the time it's like maybe eighty dollars a night. And yeah, two bedroom, <laughs> I mean a two bedroom cabin that's got it, you know, all the amenities that you can possibly need. Yeah, that's what we usually do. We usually stay uh Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Sometimes we stay through Monday. Um, but yeah, we take a long weekend and and do that. Yeah. That's our little treat kind of like after the holidays. Yeah. And I recommend it. Well, first of all, there's a two night minimum. So yes, that is very true. You do need to stay two nights, but I recommend if you're going for the weekend, I think you should stay through Monday because what ends up happening if you don't is, you know, you arrive 
Friday evening, you get Saturday, and then you have to check out by 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. And that time goes by so quick. And then you're like on the road leaving already on Sunday morning. So if you want to take a nice, relaxing, stress-free, slow Sunday morning and, and not feel like you need to pack up and be out of there, then, you know, make your checkout time Monday and then just leave on Sunday night so that you can still get back by Monday if you need to, but you don't feel like you're rushed out of there. And, you know, the other great thing that Virginia State Parks offers is they have a discount on Thursdays for the upcoming weekend. Yes, that's, uh, yeah, I've forgotten to mention that, that we were, um, we actually do that quite often. We, uh, we know what weekend we're going to be, we're going to go, but we uh, wait until Thursday to call and be like, hey, what's available? And, uh, you know, you just have to be up for wherever. And uh, we've, we've had some pretty pleasant surprises. (laughs) That's usually what we do to save that 25%. Um, so it's, uh, it's definitely worth it. Um, yeah. And, and if for some reason, you know, like all of a sudden you find out you're going to be off that weekend be like, Hey, let's, let's go to state park cabin. Cause we can do that <laughs> and get a cheap rate. Yeah, you sure can. As long as you're flexible on where you're going to go, you can just call their reservation line. And I will put that phone number in the show notes for anybody who's looking for it. And just ask them what's available and where. And they will give you the list of all the parks that have availability. And then off you go. If you're definitely looking for an adventure, that's that's the way to do it and save a little bit of money at the same time. Because, yeah, they, they want to they wanna fill their cabins for the weekend. So that's the way that they that they can do that. Right. I would not recommend doing that in the summer. I'll just say that though. Finding last minute availability in the summer is really tough. You'll be lucky if you find one or two locations that have availability, but in the winter, oh my gosh, yeah, you, you probably will have your pick. So it's a great way to, to you know, have a weekend getaway for very cheap. And especially in pandemic times, it's also a very safe way to do it. Well, we definitely do it in the winter, but sometimes we, we do it like early spring or whatever sometimes for my birthday i'll be like hey let's let's do this for my birthday so (laughs) yeah that's that sounds lovely well enjoy shenandoah river if that's where you end up i'm sure it'll be a wonderful little treat yes yes it definitely will be All right. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about Virginia Master Naturalist and sharing some great locations that I have just added to my bucket list. Thanks to your recommendations. Well, you are very welcome, Jessica. All right. Thank you so much, Kevin, and adventure on. Thank you. If you enjoyed the show, please consider supporting us. Rate, review, and share with a friend. Follow us on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you may listen to podcasts. Virginia Outdoor Adventures is hosted by me, Jessica Bowser. Cover art illustrated by Olivia Smith. Editing by Alexander Valencia. Executive production by Steph Garrett. We love to hear from our listeners. Contact us on our website, virginiaoutdooradventures.com. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, adventure on. Adventure on.